Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We've got this amazing series about joy and we're going to continue that today. Oh, and we have this friend of ours from Perth and he's kindly said he'll come here today and visit us. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to quarantine now, either. Yeah, he doesn't have to quarantine. Um, but he's going to speak to us, Tony Eyde. So would you welcome Tony Eyde? And it... Hi, Chad. Well, this is a surprise. I didn't expect to see you here in Rome. Welcome to my humble abode. Actually, I was just writing a letter to you and the people of Bayside just to thank you so much for all of your assistance and your support. And I was going to send it back with Malcolm to you next week. You know, he's been really sick. He came down with that flu virus that was hitting Rome so badly. And I heard it was affecting other people as well. But he's recovered well now. And so we're going to send him back to you with this letter. Well, good morning, Bayside. It's, uh, it's great to be with you today and to participate and to contribute uh, in some way in your series on the book of Philippians in choosing joy. My name's Tony Ide. I'm the senior pastor at Freedom Life Church in Perth, Western Australia. And so greetings are sent to you all from the people of Freedom Life and to everyone else who is tuning in today. Choose joy. That's a, that's a great ideal to live by, but it's not always easy. And Paul wrote this letter while he was in Rome in chains. Now, first century prisons were certainly not a preferred holiday destination. The picture that you saw before, the one that you'll quickly see now, is, uh, is of a prison cell in Rome from that very period. In fact, I've seen this myself when I was in Rome a few years ago. It's a cell that was reportedly the very place where Paul was held. They were terrible places, places of torture and mistreatment and uh, unsanitary. They were disease-ridden. They were rat-infested hellholes. Many people died simply because of their conditions. And so Paul was no stranger to that type of place. You know, they say that prisons kill dreams. They're places of soul-destroying monotony and isolation and mistreatment. And we all know the verse in Proverbs that says, where there's no vision, people perish. And certainly to be locked up in a prison is a vision-killing environment. Roman prisons were notorious for that kind of thing. But this is not where Paul wrote this letter from. He did stay in a, in, a, in a cell like this, but that was on his second trip to Rome where he was incarcerated and ultimately was executed. But Paul wrote this letter while he was under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. It, it, it perhaps looked a little bit like this. I mean, you can imagine Paul standing at the top of the stairs and he is speaking to a group of people who have gathered in the foyer below. He wasn't free to roam about wherever he wanted. He, he was physically bound. 
He couldn't go outside. He couldn't go shopping. He couldn't eat or sleep or even go to the toilet without being chained to this soldier. I'd like to read you just a little portion of, of what he wrote. In, 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 in a lot of ways, Paul really felt like he was in prison, even though he had some freedom. But he wrote this, and I'll, I'll read from verse 12 of, of Philippians chapter 1. It says, I want you to know, dear ones, that what has happened to me has not hindered but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. For now the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognised that I am here for my love for the Anointed One. And what I am actually going through has caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord. To be bold and passionate to preach the Word of God, all because of my chains. Paul goes on and he speaks about the fact that some people were preaching out of selfish ambition and motives and some were even preaching a a very distorted version of the gospel specifically to discredit Paul. But then there were others who were preaching out out of noble and loving, genuine motives and Paul just rejoices in that, that the gospel is being preached. He goes on and he says, no matter what, I will continue and hope and passionately cling to Christ so that he will be openly revealed through me to everyone's eyes. I will not be ashamed in in my life or in my death. Christ will be magnified in me. My true life is in the anointed one. And dying means gaining more of him. And Paul was torn. He, he wants to leave this, leave this planet. He wants to go to heaven. He wants to be in the presence of his Savior. And yet at the same time, he understands that if he stays on earth, he can be of great benefit to others. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians and he, and he says here, Deep in my heart, I'm confident that I will be spared this situation so that I can add to your joy and further strengthen and mature your faith. And we know that while Paul was in prison, he wrote four of his letters. uh, They're regarded as the prison letters that he wrote to various churches. And all through, all through Paul's life, but specifically in this letter to the Philippians, he, he expresses his joy. In verse three, he says, Every time I think of you, every time I pray for you, it is with a heart of joy. Um, whenever I hear the gospel being preached, it's, it, it, it instills joy in me. I just rejoice. I'm glad. In, in chapter 4, he says, you, dear brothers, are my joy and crown. He says, rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In fact, 16 times in this little letter, Paul speaks about joy and gladness. Now, either, either Paul's a nutcase or he's putting on some religious front, religious mask, or he's genuinely joyful. And so for me, if, if somehow Paul managed to be joyful in the way that he expressed it, to stay joyful despite his hardships, then I think there's an important lesson here for all of us to learn. I want to know how he managed to keep 
that joy. Because there are two distinctives in Paul's life. One is that he went through hardship on a regular basis. And the second one is that he was always full of joy. Spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal our joy. If you're easily upset, if you get angry, if you're worried, if you get anxious because something has gone wrong, and and most of us do if we're honest, then I believe that through Paul's life we can learn some lessons that will be extremely helpful. And so there are three points that I would like to make, three things that become apparent about Paul that help us see why he was able to maintain his joy. I've titled this message to you, Paul, the problem-plagued, passionate praiser. And so the number one uh, thing that I noticed here is that Paul had a passionate purpose. He, he had a passion that energized him despite difficulty. He was highly motivated. He had a never-quit attitude. And we all have things that we become passionate about, things that energize us. Some people, they're passionate about fishing or playing golf or going to the football. Others are passionate about their careers or making money. People are passionate about their family. And I think that's a good thing to be passionate about. But for Paul, his passion was the gospel. He says, I pray with joy for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel. He's he's filled with joy, but he's passionate about the gospel. Whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, we all share in God's grace. He says, I don't care what someone's motive is so long as the gospel is preached. And so he had a passion for the gospel. In fact, He mentions the gospel 72 times in his writings in the New Testament. It's what drove him. It's what inspired him. It's what energized him. In Romans 15, he says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. His his ambition, his passion, his purpose in life was to get to new places to people who had not yet heard about Jesus. In Romans 1, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. And so he had this desire to actually get to Rome. You can imagine he he thought that if I can get to Rome and preach to Caesar, if I could see Caesar saved, then the whole world would be changed. And so Paul had this vision, a purpose, and it was his passion. But why was it his passion? Well, remember Paul's earlier life. He had a passion back then. He wanted to destroy the message of the gospel. He was passionate in his pursuit of Christians. He wanted to imprison them. But something happened to Paul. Something dramatic happened. And he had that encounter on the Damascus road with Jesus. And so now he knew by personal experience that the only thing that had the power to change him was the gospel. And so he has this belief that it doesn't matter how bad someone is. It doesn't matter what their past history is. The gospel has the power to transform their life. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Until we as individuals have an experience with the 
with the power of the gospel in our own lives. We'll never really be passionate for the gospel. It's not simply about a ticket to heaven. It's not about just being forgiven. Paul looks at the gospel as a life-transforming, powerful experience. It's the life of Christ coming into our lives and then that life being demonstrated, lived out through us. And so he says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, for many of us, we, we can write people off. We can think that, that, you know, I've tried to share the gospel with those people so many times before, but they just keep rejecting it. And so we write some people off. We think they're just too much of a hard case. Paul never did that. Even with this despot, imperial Caesar, Nero, Paul believed that if I could get to him, I can see a change in his life. The second point I'd like to make is, is that Paul was able to maintain his peace despite his predicament, despite the fact that he was surrounded with a problem. Paul was a man of peace. He had this deep inner peace because he knew he had right standing with God. He knew he was forgiven. He knew he had eternal life. He knew he had been made righteous and declared righteous. And that, that caused him to live from a place of peace and rest that overflowed with joy. Do you know that a, a godly passion will always bring with it some problems? And why is that? Well, simply because we have an enemy who hates the gospel. We, he knows how powerful it is. He knows that it has the power to transform people's lives, to, to give them hope and vision. And so he attacks everyone who stands for it. And so Paul writes, he says there in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Well, what had happened to Paul? Well, we know he's in jail. It's not a dungeon. He's not in the cellar of some stinking prison. He is in, uh, under house arrest, but he is in chains. And uh, we see that the story actually starts way back in Acts chapter 21. Paul's in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. He, he, some people there who don't like him recognize him. And so they stir up trouble against him and he gets attacked. He gets dragged and he gets beaten with sticks. But the Roman, Roman guards who are on, on duty that day to keep peace see what's happening and they see the riot that is taking place. And so they go and arrest Paul and they drag him to the police barracks, to the headquarters. And they start to interrogate him. And we don't know uh, whether they were about to whip him because of, uh, to get more information out of him or to whip him as punishment. But either way, Paul plays his trump card and he shouts out and he says, is it lawful for you to whip me, a Roman citizen? Now, I don't know how Paul managed to convince them that he was a Roman citizen. Um, you, could, you could gain that privilege through, a, through various different ways. But somehow Paul was a Roman citizen. And so he tells them, you have no authority to whip me. And so they have no choice. They have to release him. They take him to the entrance. They're about to release him out the front. And they find that this riotous crowd have followed them. And so they want Paul's blood. They want to take charge of Paul and they actually want to kill him. And so the soldiers take him back inside and they're not quite sure what to do with him. So they 
sent him under armed guard to Caesarea to stand before the governor there to stand trial. And for the next two years, Paul remains in chains in a prison and he gets shunted from prison to court, prison to court. He stands before three different people, uh, uh, Felix, Festus and, and, and Herod Agrippa, the king. And on all of those occasions, he never actually gets convicted. And yet he's still being held against his will for two years with no rights. And so eventually Paul says, hey, I want to present my case to Caesar. I want to go to Rome. Now, remember Paul's passion. He wants to be able to travel. He wants to be free to travel to, to go and preach the gospel everywhere. And in particular, he wants to get to Rome because he's got this desire. I want to get to Caesar and present the gospel to him. The last two years, Paul hasn't been free to do that. And yet he still preaches. I mean, he's preaching uh, to those who are in the, in the courts every time he appears. He preaches to the prisoners that he's with. Um, but he's not free to get out and fulfill his real driving passion to, to, to travel the country, to go to towns and villages that haven't yet heard about Jesus. And so he speaks up and he says, guys, you've got an obligation to send me to Rome to stand before, before Caesar. So he gets put on a ship. It's not a cruise ship, it's a prison ship. He's still in chains. And a couple of weeks into the journey across the Mediterranean, they hit a storm and the ship gets wrecked. And uh, he has to swim to shore with the other prisoners. And he's on the beach and he's gathering wood to start a fire. And uh, he gets bitten by a deadly snake. And everyone's looking and they're thinking, well, Paul's going to die, but miraculously he survives. And it takes him an, almost another six months of travel to finally get to Rome. Now, as a Roman citizen, he can't be held in a, in a prison. And so under his bail conditions, he manages to convince the authorities that he has the means uh, to rent a house and stay there under house arrest. And that's what the Philippians were doing. They were supporting him with finances uh, to help him survive like that. But he spends another two years there in chains. This man who has this passion to get out and be free to preach the gospel. And yet somehow he maintains his joy. And he says, guys, the things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel. In fact, he says in chapter four, I've learned how to be content in all circumstances. Do you know that set of circumstances, I'm sure, would rob us of our joy. We would all struggle with that. But joy is not the same as happiness. See, we measure joy by our level of happiness. And, uh, but real joy is a different thing. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. And so when everything goes well, we feel happy. When things don't go smoothly, we, uh, it affects our happiness and we lose our joy. A few years ago, Robin and I were wanting to have a holiday. We hadn't had a break for several years. And uh, we finally managed to save a little bit of money and we booked a holiday home down on the south coast here in Western Australia. And uh, the day finally arrived. We'd packed the car the night before and we got up early, went to have a shower to set off and um, there was no hot water. And I quickly went outside to find out what was going on and, and, and our hot water system had exploded 
it had completely ruptured and there was steam flying everywhere. And, and uh, so that wasn't a great start to, to our holiday. How many of you know that my joy was robbed right at that moment? Um, now, the easy thing would have been just turn the water off, turn the gas off, hop in the car and go. But that wouldn't have led to a very relaxing, restful period of time away. And the, the truth is that we were having someone come and stay in our home. And so I had to get the thing fixed up. And so we postponed our holiday by two days. I had to get a plumber in, spend thousands of dollars to get this whole thing replaced. It wasn't a very joyous experience. But joy isn't determined by natural circumstances. Joy is, is, de is determined by knowing our eternal position, by knowing that we are secure in Christ. It, it, we have eternal life. We have been made righteous. We are sons of God. We are saints, not slaves or sinners. And that instills within us this deep sense of security, which overflows as peace and, 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 and then expresses itself with joy. So how was Paul able to maintain his joy, even though he knew he was eternally secure? He still went through some pretty crappy stuff. Well, Paul was able to maintain his joy despite his problems because I believe of one key element. And in keeping with Chad's alliteration, I'll give you another P. So Paul had a passionate purpose. He was able to keep his peace despite his predicament and despite his problems. But he also had a healthy perspective. He had a perspective that was broader than the immediate difficulty that he faced. It wasn't just that he was saved. It wasn't just that he was forgiven. It wasn't just that heaven was his home. It was that he always saw an opportunity to fulfill his passion, despite his problem. He saw everything from God's perspective. And somehow he was able to live from that heavenly vantage point of being seated in heavenly places in Christ. And he was able to look down with a panoramic view of, of his life on earth, of, of the things that, that were coming against him, and he could keep things in a proper perspective. And so he writes in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Amplified Bible uh, uses the phrase, it, 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 was, it was a renewed impetus in spreading the gospel. These chains, everything I've gone through for the past four and a half to five years has all been for the effective advance of the gospel. And so he writes this in verse 13. He says, As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So there's three groups of people here who were impacted by Paul's testimony. One, it was the Roman soldiers. And these weren't just any soldiers. These were the palace guard. This, this was the Praetorian guard, Caesar's personal bodyguards. And they would work on rotation between guarding Paul and serving in Caesar's palace. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can't get away from him. Now think about it. These, these guards were normally unapproachable. 
And yet Paul uses this opportunity to give them the gospel. The normal Roman military custom was for prisoners like this was, was that there'd be at least two to four of them with Paul all the time. At least one to guard the house and at least one chained to Paul all the time. And they would rotate, their shift would change every six hours. New guards would come in and they would go back out either to the barracks or to the palace. Paul couldn't do anything without having these guards chained to him. They really were a captive audience to Paul and Paul refused to stay quiet. Can you imagine if you're one of those guards? You're in the palace and you get your next duty roster and your name comes up for Paul duty. Oh no, we're with Paul again. We're going to have to be chained to him once again. We've got to go to the toilet with him. We've got to do this with him. We've got to do that with him. We've got to listen to him talk non-stop about Jesus. And yet clearly Paul had significant impact upon those men. Despite the circumstances, he can say, guys, the whole palace guard know why I'm here. They know what my passion is. Now, no doubt, some of these guards would have, would have known that their fellow soldiers had crucified Jesus back in Jerusalem those years before. They may have even known some of them personally. Paul may have recounted some of his own stories of when he was a religious soldier going out with the authority of the high priest to persecute Christians. But then he has this encounter with the risen Lord and it radically changes his life and he shares that message with them. In fact, he closes his letter in, in chapter 4 and he says in verse 22, he says, all of the saints send you greetings. This is to the people of Philippi. And he says this, especially, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So who were the ones in Caesar's household? Well, some of them would have been these Roman soldiers. Some of them may have been the family of these soldiers who heard Paul's message. Some of them may have been other servants and people working in the palace. But quite possibly, they may have been family members of Caesar's own family. And he, 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 he's saying, guys, these people have now responded to my message because he now calls them saints. Imagine that, folks. People right in the imperial palace have been saved because Paul refused to stay silent despite his circumstances. You know, most days for, for those of you who, who are in work, you go to an office, you, you go to a factory, you go to a shop, you see the same group of people day in and day out. Perhaps you know them well. Perhaps you don't. But either way, you're in the same work environment with them every day. It actually means that you are chained to those people. When Paul says that he was a prisoner in chains for the gospel, I don't think he was simply referring to the fact that he'd been imprisoned. He was chained to a message. He was chained to people who had to listen. And we have the same opportunity. Paul had a passionate purpose. He had a kingdom perspective that empowered him to endure and he refused to stay silent. Now, not only were the Roman guards, the palace guards impacted like that, not only were members of Caesar's own household affected, but there were other Roman citizens who also heard this message 
and who had been impacted by it. Says the whole palace guard have heard and everyone else. Now, Paul was imprisoned in a house. He couldn't go outside of the confines of that house. But Acts 28 tells us that people could come and visit him. And so we read that there were leaders of the Jews who came. There were other people who came, Roman citizens who came. Sometimes there were large groups of people who just gathered. In, in, in fact, it says from morning to night, he declared the kingdom of God and taught them about Jesus. In Acts 28 verse 30, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. Now, that, this is an amazing story when you think about it. Paul has been here. He's been in prison for two years. It took two and a half years for him to get to Rome. Two years in prison in Caesarea, six months on the sea, another two years in prison in Rome. He's under guard. He can't go anywhere. He's chained to a soldier 24-7. And yet it says, boldly and without hindrance, he preached. I think it's an incredible example of God's favour upon Paul, despite the chains. This, this period of incarceration, this period of, of lockdown was perhaps Paul's greatest period of impact. He saw people saved in Rome. He saw people encouraged. He, 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 he saw people in the very imperial palace saved. He writes four letters known as his, his prison letters. This letter to the Philippians, to Colossians, Ephesians, his letter to Philemon. He stayed active and he stayed effective, boldly, boldly preaching and teaching. You know, for most of us, unless, we, unless everything falls into place perfectly, unless we get some bolt of lightning that zaps us and jolts us into action, most of us tend to stay silent. Think about your situation. The next time you feel stuck in your job or, or your situation that, that is frustrating you, see it as an opportunity. Paul's suffering resulted in Roman soldiers hearing the gospel. It resulted in Roman citizens hearing the gospel, people in, in Caesar's own household hearing. But there was a third group of people, and it, 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 Paul's testimony, his, his, the, the impact of his message, also resulted in reluctant saints being encouraged and emboldened. He says, he says, um, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of, of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul somehow put courage into these Christians who had been intimidated. There were Christians in Rome when Paul arrived, but they had become ineffective they had been intimidated by the persecution that Nero was putting on Christians. And yet they had heard about Paul's impact in prison. And they would come and they, they would listen to him teach about Jesus. They heard the gospel message in its fullness, perhaps for the first time. And they gained confidence to go back out into their free situation and preach with boldness. And so Paul saw these chains not as a, not as a hindrance. He saw them as a bonus. Do you have chains that you feel are a hindrance to you, that limit you, that stifle you as a Christian? Fears, phobias, 
feelings of doubt, maybe guilt and condemnation. Perhaps you feel being stuck at home over these past few months has really limited your effectiveness as a believer. You know, sometimes uh, stay-at-home mums and dads can feel that way. There's the story of Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children. I'm sure there were times where she felt chained to her kids, caring for them, preparing meals for them, washing clothes, ironing, teaching them. But she was a woman who loved God with a passion and she prayed regularly for her kids and she raised them with godly values. She would sit and she would teach them Bible stories. She would pray with them. She would teach them how to pray. And two of her sons went on to become two of the most powerful revivalists England has ever seen, John and Charles Wesley. Her restrictions, her limitations never stopped her from having an impact on those boys. And those boys changed the history of England. Perhaps you feel like you're stuck in a job. Could even be a successful job. You know, J.C. Penney was an American Christian businessman who really built an empire. And he, but he was tied to his desk. He was tied to his job. There were times where, where he was getting a little bit frustrated with it. And so he made a choice. He said, I'm going to give away 90% of what my business makes, 90% of my income. And he used that money to advance the gospel. He funded mission organizations all over the world. You might feel like you're in a dead-end job, but I want to tell you there's always opportunity to shine for Jesus. It's simply a matter of perspective. There's a story of a lady by the name of Charlotte Elliott, and she loved to worship. She loved to play the piano. She just loved to worship God. But she became housebound with a debilitating illness and, and she was um, uh, in bed most of the time. And yet during that period of, of time, she wrote over 150 hymns. One of them was sung at every Billy Graham crusade, just as I am without one plea. She refused to allow her situation to lock her down. There's a story of an evangelist in the 1600s and he would go out to the village squares and he would travel from town to town and he would boldly preach the gospel. But he had enemies. And eventually he was imprisoned as a heretic for his pronouncement of the gospel. But, they, but he wouldn't stay silent. He just kept preaching. And so when he was out in the exercise yards, he would, he would shout at the top of his voice and people got used to hearing him. So they would gather on the other side of the wall and listen to him preach the gospel. Eventually, this was causing a disturbance. And so the warden had to put him in, in solitary confinement. They put him in the deepest part of the prison, in the dungeon, and to stop him from preaching. And so he turned to writing. And he wrote 60 books during that period of time. One of them was a series of writings that we have today called Pilgrim's Progress. His name was John Bunyan. And he has inspired millions of people all around the world for the last 400 years because he refused to stay silent. Perhaps you have some actual physical disability. I'm sure we've all heard of that man... Uh, the Australian man, Nick uh, Jusevic, and he was born with no arms or legs. And yet he has inspired millions of people around the world with a message of hope in Jesus. 
All of those people mirrored Paul in some way. They didn't allow their circumstance to dictate their joy. They didn't use hardships that they faced as an excuse to become passive. They didn't let difficulties cause them to slip into complaint. They chose joy just like Paul chose joy. They chose to praise rather than complain. They chose to be thankful rather than just lick their wounds. They chose to speak rather than to stay quiet. And we each have a choice. We can either grumble and moan and complain or we can set our eyes on Jesus. You know, Mother Teresa was uh, inundated at one period of time in her life with letters from people and requests for people who wanted to go and help her work in Calcutta in India. And um, many of those people felt the only way they could serve God uh, effectively was to actually sell everything and, and move to India to help her. And eventually she wrote back and she said, please stay where you are. Don't come to Calcutta. Find your own Calcutta. Find the sick, find the suffering, find the lonely, find that they're right there where you are. They're in your schools, they're in your workplaces. Some of them are even in your own homes. She said, you can find a Calcutta all over the world if you have eyes to see. Everywhere you go, you will find people who are unwanted, unloved, uncared for, people who have been rejected by society, completely forgotten and alone. And you know, we can find those people even in our own churches. Don't allow your circumstance to dictate how you live. Don't allow it to cause you to stay silent. Don't allow it to cause you to complain rather than praise. We each have a choice. Paul had a choice. He could have grumbled and complained, but he chose to praise and he chose to be joyful. He had a passionate purpose. He had a heavenly perspective and it empowered him to walk with peace through his problems, not only with joy, but with powerful effectiveness. Paul, the problem-plagued, passionate praiser. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us all learn from Paul, that we would gain a heavenly perspective, that we could see from that heavenly vantage point that we could see that everything that is happening around us has a much bigger there's a much bigger picture and it has a bigger purpose. And we, we want to be those who respond well. We want to be those who can respond with faith. Father, we resolve that despite our earthly difficulties, that we will maintain our joy. We will choose joy and we will choose never to be silent. Let the gospel so encourage us and impact us that it causes us to speak truth with love to those who need to hear that message. Father, I just declare your blessings over Bayside, over Chad and Jay. May they prosper in every way in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks. Been great to be with you. And hopefully when all this lockdown finishes, I'll be able to actually get there in person. Bless you. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.